There are special prayers made for the nations. See, in the old days in the temple, they used to make sacrifice 70 bulls because it was their understanding that there were 70 nations. So special prayers were made during Sukkot for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all nations. Through the blood, you see, the bulls were a testimony of the blood. So because of the blood of Jesus, the light of the gospel is destined to fall on every nation. And I love where it says, I think it's Revelation 16, I saw an an, an, an angel flying through the heavenlies with an everlasting gospel to preach to every tribe, tongue, and people and nation. You can be absolutely sure that the end of the age, every nation, including Bulgaria, United Kingdom, Ireland, USA, wherever, are going to have a mighty encounter with the everlasting gospel. So come up here because you carry the gospel to your nation and among your people here. Come up here and we lay hands on you. Come on, guys. John, I pray to Bulgarian language. No, you can just translate to the others. Oh, for them. Bulgarian? Yeah. What to do now? Yes. Tell them what's going on. They say no. Okay, come on, guys. Come on, David. Come on, gang. Come on, others. Lord, we just thank you for these beautiful men and women that you've raised up, Lord. First fruits for Bulgaria. And we thank you, Lord, of the beautiful reports we hear of your body rising in Bulgaria. We ask you, Lord, as you have brought them to us here tonight, that your spirit will especially target Bulgaria on the basis of the blood of Jesus for a mighty encounter with the kingdom of God. We ask that old shells of nominal religion and atheism will be broken off that land, Lord. And you will release now, right now, here today, this night, from heaven, a mighty release of the Spirit of God upon Bulgaria in every city and village and townsland, everywhere where they gather to pray. All of a sudden, there'll be a, a power and a release of your Spirit behind their words and works. Lord, visit and stay with Bulgaria in a new way. Let these men and women be filled with your spirit, with your word, with your power to tell the praises of God, the eternal God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our King Yeshua, and to proclaim him to the nation of Bulgaria. And we ask that Bulgaria will just lead Europe in revival in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for that. Thank you for everybody. God bless you together. Thank you. Bogateria. Bogateria. That's wonderful. Because our eyes do go to the nations during the Feast of Tabernacles. To Israel, yes. And to the nations. And we see in the covenant with Abraham. And we ask the Lord that as we share the word now, something will go from heaven into each heart. That will not just be dry word, but will go creating life into our hearts. And uh, as the... um, Abrahamic covenant is a blessing of God for Israel, and you all, the, but to, for all the families of the earth. So the attention of God in the regathering of Israel is also for the release of God's kingdom and glory to every nation. And the nations that be, the people who understand this dynamic connection 
are the ones who will enter and carry the end time move of the Spirit. We're in the era of the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. That's also Feast of Tabernacles. Matthew 24, the end time is followed by Matthew 25, the wise and foolish virgins. The wise ones, they all had oil. But among those who carried oil, there were those who were aware of the timing of the coming of the bridegroom. And they were, they were asleep, but they were only, not fully asleep. They were alert. They had to get their time of rest. So we have to rest like everybody else, but we are alert for the sound of the trumpet of the coming of the Lord. And an awakening is going through the body of Christ where we've been sleeping, unaware of the signs of the end, unaware of Israel, and the trumpet is blowing. There's a release of truth right now. And where that truth is is carried and embraced, there's a rising up of the sleeping virgins, the sleepy virgins, and that become awake and alive. And the others continue to go on as if one generation is the same as the next. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. Nothing changes. No, things are changing. That we're at a special time. There's a kairos. And the sleeping ones were not aware. The ones who stayed sleeping were not aware of the hour of God's visitation. So it's an hour of oil, for fresh oil. And you can't borrow somebody else's oil in the hour of crisis. You have to have your own oil. Just a few scriptures before I get on to the main thing. I'm going to talk tonight about the... Um, Two women, two main women that are heroines or leading characters in the Gospel of John. I just want to read a few scriptures about restoration of Israel. Two great themes of Bible prophecy are the restoration of Israel on the basis of God's faithfulness. Not on the basis of Israel's faithfulness, but on the basis of God's faithfulness. And one thing that God cannot do is he cannot lie. And when he makes a promise, he has to fulfill that promise. That's an amazing thing. A politician can make a promise and is not really lying when he makes the promise, but he usually doesn't have the ability to execute the promise, so it ends up much the same as a lie. But it's not really a lie. His intention was good. But God has enough power to fulfill his own promises, regardless of what goes on in the world. This is sovereignty. The reality of the sovereign Lord is that the sovereign Lord makes a plan and executes a plan in spite of a lot of things that happen that are not caused by God. Not everything that happens is caused by God, but in spite of a lot of things that are caused by other forces and spirits and evil, the wickedness of man, God is able to get his sovereign plan to come to pass. He's able to execute his plan. That's my understanding of sovereignty. Not that God causes everything, but in and through everything that happens and in spite of everything that happens, in spite of sin, in spite of the devil, in spite of the plots and evil of man, God is able to get his counsel established and he's able to do it on time. That's another subject. Isaiah chapter 11, 11. The two great themes of of prophecy are God's eternal plan for Israel, and, the, and then his plan for all nations, consequential, and then his, his, his plan for all nations, including world redemption, and his plan for the Messiah. Two great themes of Bible prophecy, Israel and the Messiah. Now, Isaiah chapter 11 is a wonderful, it's just an, I'm just going to read one or two prophecies of restoration. And one of my favorite ones, although there are Dozens and dozens of prophecies of restoration of Israel. One of my favorites is Isaiah 11, 11. And in Isaiah 11, 11, it says, 
In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Himath, and from the coastlands of the sea. That's the islands here. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall no longer be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Philistines in the west, that's where the airport is, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. And here is exactly from the four corners of the earth. This is the end time regathering of Israel. A few more things concerning the prophetic regathering. Isaiah 61 says um, the same prophecy that Jesus quoted in the synagogue of Nazareth, but he only quoted part one and not part two. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, is upon Yeshua, and it's upon his people. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim this acceptable year of the Lord's favor. And he didn't quote this one because now is the time for its fulfillment. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty uh, for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called right righteous oaks, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. This is happening today. Israel has the greatest population it's ever had in its history. The population of Israel now is nine million. Incredible. This place is too narrow. They say this place is too narrow for us. We can't squeeze in. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord, and they shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in the land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Isaiah 62, next chapter. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a, as a burning torch. Verse 6. On your, watchman, on your walls, O Jerusalem, I have said, Watchmen, all day and all night they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise unto the earth. Because the Lord is coming very shortly to fulfill not only the Abrahamic covenant, but the covenant he made with David. That was the understanding of the first Christians. He's raised up a champion in the house of David first. That was Mary's understanding. That was Zechariah's understanding. That was Elizabeth's understanding. And all of that got airbrushed out of our theology. But the wise virgins are waking up right now. And it's an incredible time. This gospel of the kingdom. 
Not the gospel of denomination. My denomination is better than your denomination. My church is better than yours. But this is what the real message of Jesus, the king and the kingdom. For a kingdom to be in operation, there has to be a king. And you and I are citizens of, of a political system, an order of things. You're citizens of the United Kingdom. I'm citizen of Ireland and of the USA. But my real citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of another kingdom. And from there, the people in our, who are only citizenship is from their secular society. They look for the government to meet all their needs in this socialist world. We look for the government to supply jobs, income, health care, everything we have need of from the government order. There will come a day when that's not no longer able to deliver. But our God is never going to be dethroned we have found the king and we found the kingdom. And we have come, we've come into the sure mercies of his reign. We have a literal king reigning over us right now, right today. We're in two worlds. And so one world is, un, is uncertain. It's an it's a area of strife and confusion. It's, a, it's ebb tide and, and um, flood tide. It's a, sea, it's a seething cauldron of diverse interests. It's volatile, it's uncertain, it's unsure. And the peoples whose minds are formed from that realm are insecure, full of fear and full of uncertainty. But we're in the fear not realm because we found the Messiah. He's able to walk over the water. He's able to still the seas. He's sure, he's faithful. He's able to deliver on his promises. We found the Messiah. We found the King. He's the King of Israel. He's the descendant of the throne of David. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's reigning now. He's in the unseen realm. But remember, so is also your Wi-Fi. You get a lot of information there. He's in the unseen realm. He's real. He's operating in systems that are of his own word and making. He's able to deliver for you. Nobody can snatch you out of his hands. Nothing can shake this kingdom. It's an unshakable kingdom, and it's ruled over by an incorruptible man. He's incorruptible. Every politician that I know is corruptible. Every religious leader is corruptible. Every great founder of a religion is dead in their grave. But Jesus is alive. He's incorruptible. He's alive. He's able to give all his attention to us. He's the king, and we're waiting for his manifest rule to replace other, every other rule and authority. That's the destiny of the planet. But what about this everlasting kingdom? And why is it that there are veils over the people who study his word, the Jewish people who study his word, and Christians who study his word? Why are there veils over, over our eyes? Well, the Bible, Paul says, when a man turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. On the day of the resurrection, he took the veil away from the disciples on the way to Emmaus, and they recognized him. And then he says he opened their eyes to understand the scriptures. It takes a touch from the Lord Jesus to understand the scriptures. That's amazing. Even if you do know the Hebrew language, even if you do know the Greek language, or know both languages, and Aramaic as well, it still takes a touch from the Lord to open your eyes to these things. And our eyes have been touched. Paul, when he's a, he was such a Pharisee, such a Bible scholar, and yet there were scales over his eyes. Something like scales fell from his eyes. On the day of the resurrection, Jesus took this, opened their eyes to understand the scripture. Those two on the way to Emmaus. And later on in Jerusalem, he opened their eyes to understand the scripture. To you, it has been given to understand the secrets of the kingdom. They're hidden to the wise and learned. They're not understood through the intellect alone. 
to understand through the spirit, processed by the intellect, and then articulated by our mouths. But through the spirit, we know the things that are freely given to us by God. So another realm of the Lord's communication to us. We're spirit, we're soul, and we're body. One of the veils that came over the Western church was that we were told we were soul and body, a mind and a body. And so trying to understand the things of God just through the mind is like trying to understand quantum physics with Newtonian measurements. You can't do it. You need a different system of things. He's revealing these things to you and to me by the Spirit. He's showing them to us. We're asking him to show us. Feast of Tabernacles to me would, is, includes at our salvation through Passover and our faith in that, our spirits are saved. We get a new heart and a new spirit. Then as the spirit of God begins to work in us, he leads us into all truth and he begins to transform our minds by the word of God. So our outlook is no longer formed by BBC or The Guardian or whatever it is that you get transformed your thinking, you begin to be transformed by the word of God, the unshakable word of God, and you begin to see a different perspective on life. Those things become real to you, no longer mere theory. And our, our souls are changed. Our spirits are saved as soon as we're born again. Our souls are in process. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, an ongoing process of revelation, and the Lord leading us into all truth in a way that changes our values, changes our perspectives, changes our attitudes, changes our understanding, and changes our emotions. All of that in the renewal of the mind. And finally, this body will be transformed at his appearing. Our spirits are saved, our souls are being saved, and our bodies will be saved at his appearing. But right now we get the quickening power of the Holy Spirit keeping our bodies alive and strong. Now, this gospel that goes forth, you see, it's not just understanding the Bible. It's more than the Bible. Because we read in the book of Acts, the word of God increased. The word of God multiplied. The word of God came to Macedonia. The word of God came to this place. The word of God came to Caesarea. What is it, the word that came? Was it that... uh, Peter handed out uh, 100 copies of the Tanakh, you know, the books of Moses. No, the Word of God, which is the proclamation of what was accomplished by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. The Word of God that was proclaimed in the apostolic gospel was the proclamation of what was accomplished by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We do a lot of ministry in Ireland. And in Ireland, most people, they think they understand the gospel. Because they know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth, worked miracles in Galilee, died in Jerusalem, rose on the third day. They think they know the gospel. That's the biography of Jesus. But you have to read the writings of Paul to understand what the gospel is. It's the explanation of what was accomplished. And tragically, a lot of Christianity lost the gospel the understanding of what was accomplished by Jesus. So people think they know the, knowing the biography of Jesus, they think they know the gospel. Well, that did nothing for me. So there's nothing in Christianity. But when you know what was accomplished for you, that he wrote a will and a testament, and he made you his heir, co-heir with Jesus, that he cancelled out every judgment and ordinance that was upon you on the basis of law, 
the, everything that disqualified you, and he qualified you to be a fellow citizen and an heir with him. That he made you to be the object of his love and his, and his attention all the days of your life. That he broke every curse that was over your life and translated you into the realm of his blessing. That what the world and, and the world systems are unable to do, he can do by his mighty power, by translating us into another dimension. Now you see, the, the Hebrew scholars of Jesus' day, Pharisees, Sadducees, and the other scholars and uh, scribes, theologians, they read the same Bible that Jesus read. Exactly the same Bible, the same words, but they sure interpreted it a different way. See, we can all read the same Bible, but how are we interpreting it? The way we interpret the Bible from the reverse side of the cross, from the resurrection side of the cross, from the glorification side of the cross, is completely different than from the guilt side of the cross. You see, you can come to the cross, this is the guilt side of the cross, but then you can walk through it, and you're now in the reverse side of the cross, having laid down your guilt, and you're in the glory side of the cross. The purpose of Pentecost is to join us to the glory side of the cross, <laughs> leaving behind the guilt and the shame and going through this great doorway, which is his blood. Where are we living? So we have in Christianity, just like in Judaism of Jesus' day, people reading the same Bible, but interpreting in such different ways according to what's going on in their own spirit. That's why we need the Holy Spirit of Jesus to interpret the Bible from this wonderful way that he interpreted Now I want to go to the two ladies in the book of John. We don't know their names. The woman caught in adultery and the woman at the well. In their two stories, we see a whole new way of interpreting Moses and the gospel and and the Bible. Woman number one, the woman caught in adultery. This was definitely a very bad day in her life. I think it was the worst day in her life, really. I mean, here she is in the temple, caught in adultery near the temple area, dragged out in front of everybody, humiliated, disgraced, shamed. And then they have a little trial, found guilty, two witnesses, you're guilty. Now the penalty under the law is death by stoning. That's what it says. Now, there were ministers assigned to do that work. As far as we know, there was no record of that ever been carried out before. But they took her before Jesus to embarrass Jesus, to make him sound like he was lax, lowering God's standards and didn't stand for God's high provisions. Because Jesus was known to be a friend of sinners and disreputable people. Like Jonathan here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so he got he was in trouble so this woman it was the really the worst day of her life but then it turned out to be the best day of her life <laughs> because she happened to be in the temple at just the perfect time in world history when the savior stood there and as they were about to reach for stones to throw at her He said, not exactly these words, wait a minute, over my dead body. And he stepped in and took her stoning, isn't that it? He took it a few months or weeks later. 
Then he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And they all begin to skulk away, realizing mm, they weren't so perfect themselves either. So that then he says, go and sin no more to this woman. Just a tremendous thing that the only person ever in world history that could release her from condemnation was right there at that spot, at that precise time. Wow. <laughs> and she got released. Not because God says adultery is okay from here on in, no problem. But he says, I'm taking the blame, the shame, the guilt completely for that woman and for her accusers also, who had their own issues by their own admission. So now, we are that woman caught in adultery. We are the stone throwers. We are the people who who are not successful Christians, successful at at living the righteous life. We are those who have discovered our complete lack of success at living the righteous life. But we got released from our guilt. And it's a historic fact that the death penalty for my sin was taken by him And I'm the woman at the well, released. But he does say this other word, now go and sin no more. He didn't say it's okay. He says, go and live in a new way. Because you can, because you're at the reverse side of guilt. And so for the complete gospel, you need to bring these two women (laughs) together. The second woman, not second in chronological order, the woman in... Samaria, she was a character, wasn't she? She had, she came to a well where Jesus was and he asked her for a drink of water. She was at the well at midday, filling her jar with water because she was there at midday because she was a bit of an outcast. And Jesus asked her for a drink, even though she was a bit of an outcast. And she, she, we're told about her that she had five husbands and that the man she was with right now wasn't really her husband because probably after five marriages, there was no point going on to the next marriage. So she wasn't exactly what we regard the showcase sample of a perfect Christian or righteous person. But she's Europe today. She's UK today. So is the other woman. She's Europe today. Now, going back to the woman caught in adultery. Say a month later, six months later. Do you think she was going to go ever go to go back to the church or the synagogue that was presided over by her stone throwers? Now, after all, they were doing their job. Under Moses, they were supposed to do their job. They were carrying it out to the letter. And Paul says about the letter of the law, he says, the letter kills, the letter brings death, it brings condemnation. But the Spirit brings righteousness and life. The ministration of the Spirit brings death and condemnation. 
the ministry of the Spirit brings life and righteousness. The letter can't bring righteousness. But the Spirit brings righteousness and life. That's amazing. Second Corinthians chapter 3, let me get it out. So this is the realm, this is the ministry that we're in. There's a transition going on in our time where over the centuries, Christianity began to get a, on, pick up on itself. Perhaps it didn't take centuries. Perhaps already by the end of the first century, because I've read some of those writings of the early century, early first century, they were already a mixture of stone throwers and releasers, and we got a, a confused gospel. We're told in the last days, this everlasting gospel will go flying to the nations. So, let me look at Second Corinthians chapter 3. And about the two ministries, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves as claiming anything coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us able ministers of the new covenant. How many here are able ministers of the new covenant? He has made you that. But you're not an able minister of the letter. Not of the letter. You're not anointed to be a minister of the letter. You're not an able minister of the letter. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, make no doubt about it, he's talking about Moses, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which had been brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? So he's contrasting the ministry of the letter and the ministry of the Spirit. This was going on in John's Gospel, chapter 8. The sponsors were operating the ministry of the letter. That was their job. They were anointed to that, or they were appointed to that. But in comes a new kind of ministry that had never been heard of before. The ministry of the Spirit. For if there was glory in the ministration of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in that case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will that which is permanent, have glory. Now, we have the ministry of the letter. He says the ministry of the letter, verse 6, is a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation. Letter, death, condemnation. The ministry of the Spirit is a ministry of life and righteousness. Jesus, at that moment, brought in a revelation of the ministry of the Spirit Why could he bring it in? Because he had successfully, or was about to successfully, take upon himself all the condemnation of every human being that ever lived. Now, I'm not a universalist, because each one must put his faith in that amazing reality. Turn to the one beside you, punch them on the shoulder, not too hard, and say, I'm amazed that God could save a wretch like you. (laughs) 
Well, it's amazing. It's, it's a whole new realm. That's why we have an everlasting gospel to preach to every single human being in the United Kingdom and in Liverpool and in Bulgaria and in Ireland and Liverpool, the nightlife capital of the United Kingdom, <laughs> according to the airport sign. We have a message for those people. The condemnation has already been born, in case you don't know. And when you come to Kingsway Fellowship, or to the guys like us, you're not going to be hit with condemnation. Because we were all in the same boat, and we got released from condemnation, and we're in another realm. We're the adopted sons of God. We deserve at least what we have at the most. Wow! That turns everything up on its head. And over the centuries, the mixture came in of the ministry of condemnation and the ministry, the ministry of the letter and the ministry of the spirit got mixed. And so we had a Christianity that was this great mixture. Those days are over. The mixture is coming out. And the pure light of the glory of this great message, come to me, everyone, everyone, no matter what your past, no matter how heinous your past, Shameful your past, awful, embarrassing your past. You're welcome. If you see that he took your condemnation and if you're willing for him to give you a new start and in the power of his life to go and sin no more. It's incredible, isn't it? But we need to see that sharp contrast between the letter, the ministry of the letter, death and condemnation, to which... You're not appointed and not anointed. The last person to be anointed to that ministry was John the Baptist. And that's quite a long time ago. Lots of people have tried to function since, but none of them successfully. Because nobody has been anointed for that since. Now, but we do have the ministry of the Spirit, which testifies to the successful work of Jesus on the cross. It's amazing. But to have the full picture of the gospel and to be complete and not out of balance, we have to also bring in the other woman with the five husbands and the boyfriend. And she was definitely a mess. But she was totally transformed at one moment by Jesus. And I go now to John's gospel, chapter 4. Jesus said to her in In verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Wow, she's the first to ask that question. Where do I get this water of life? Are you greater than Jacob? And Jesus said, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. It'll be a spring, a fountain. It'll just keep on bubbling up in you forever. Once you get it, your plumbing connected, till something will stay bubbling up in you 24-7. It's the new heart and the new spirit. It's bubbling. It's bubbling up in you every day. Sometimes you have to sing to that well. Just give it a little stir up. Let it bubble up in you. 
We spoke today about the manifestation of that life, the pouring out of that life, that that which comes into us is supposed to bubble out of us. And Jesus said, call your husband. That's where we find out that he, he knew by the word of knowledge of five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband. And then in verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and came away into her town and said to her people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this man be the Christ? So she brought the whole town to Jesus and became the first evangelist. Who are the people that God will raise up today? I tell you, that woman released from condemnation has a story to tell. He changed my life. I was in dread of condemnation. I could almost feel those stones about to touch my my skin. Fear rose in me. I was in a cold sweat. And then this man stepped in. He stepped in in my life. He stepped in in yours. And there is no more condemnation, even though you're not yet perfect in your behavior, as long as you're aspiring to go and sin no more, as long as you haven't turned your back in it, you're still in that realm. But he goes further. Because that in us and that in Jesus' accusers, in the woman, and in her accusers, that which was in her had, and in them had entered into them from Adam. We're told by Paul in Romans, sin entered into the world through one man. That got programmed into me, into all of us. It got programmed into me just by being born in Ireland. It got programmed into you. It got programmed into all of us because of our defective Adamic nature. And the Lord has come to loose us from the Adamic connection and align us to the Jesus connector. So it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. It's a new man, a new kind of human being where he's extracted from us. As the prophets foretold, as Ezekiel foretold, that corrupt heart, that's what defiles a man. That's what corrupts all our nations. That's what corrupts London, Liverpool, Manchester, Dublin, New York. Los Angeles, that corrupt heart that was in that woman, that's in every one of us. But God doesn't, he doesn't just take the condemnation from it, for that would be not a full gospel. He extracts it from us and causes a new well to be pumping up in us, the very same life that was in Jesus. The same, no longer we who live, I've been condemned with Jesus. I've been crucified with Jesus. I've been dead in the eyes of the law because of Jesus. I'm a failure in the eyes of the law. Nevertheless, I live at the reverse side of condemnation in this realm of glory where I'm fully accepted and the record of my wrongdoing has been nailed with him, including the self that lived it. And now Christ is back in town in new form. This well ahead of time as a sort of a forerunner, she got that well springing up in her. They could see the change. There was something in her that wasn't there before. There was a love and a wisdom and a dignity that wasn't there before. Because she wasn't just fulfilling the the exhortation, go and sin no more. She was transformed by a new life that was in her. 
We've got the goods. We've got this tremendous everlasting gospel that will go now in these end days because there are three great movements on the earth today. The regathering or the ingathering of Israel, which will end in their restoration and recognition of the Messiah. The ingathering of Israel from the four corners of the earth. And the release of this amazing gospel of the kingdom. Not a mixture of the gospel of the letter and the gospel of the spirit, but the pure gospel of the spirit. (laughs) Not the mixture that was among Constantine and post-Constantine Christianity that we were brought up with. The older ones among us were brought up with anyway. But this amazing bright light of the great invitation to all men, regardless of how messy your past, regardless of the bondage of your generations, regardless of whatever curse you were in, Regardless of what oppression you were in, regardless of what lousy living you lived until this point, God's not scandalized. It's all nailed to him, and we're joining him at the reverse side of the cross, the glory side of the cross. And he says, you're my joint heirs. We're all the prodigal son. But the prodigal son doesn't stay cringing at the outside. He has the boldness to enter by the new and the living way. He receives a robe. He receives a banquet. He receives a celebration. And then... He receives a ring of authority, but he also, I'm sure he doesn't stay just in that realm the whole time. He begins to get a stirring of his heart to invite others to the same treatment that he has received. That's what's going forth. Three great movements, the ingathering of Israel, the release of this glorious gospel of the kingdom from people of every tribe, tongue, and to two people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And thirdly, the preparation of the bride the alert ones, the ones who say, my identity will be to be tied up with him. That's my main identity. We're dead to the Lord that we may be do our own thing. No, that we may be married to another. That we may live a life controlled by his spirit, life, words, works, and ways. And that we may join to his purposes. Your purposes shall be my purposes. Your God shall be my God. Your father shall be my father. Your inheritance, my inheritance. My destiny is locked up in Jesus. It's a marriage. <laughs> it's a marriage. This we call the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're in marriage union with Jesus. You're no longer a believer. You're his representative. You're his joint heir. You're his. It's a level of union that he has for us of which human marriage is only a shadow. It's a greater merging. Your life has become merged with Jesus. That's who you are. So in this, there's a discovery as the Spirit leads us into all truth, of our true identity, not just as forgiven sinners, but sons of the living God through our marriage and his sharing. This is a powerful time to be alive. Those three directions, the ingathering and regathering of the Jewish people, the release of the gospel of the kingdom of God, and the preparation of the bride of Christ. That's what's going on today. And this is the mark of the end of the age. How long it will go on for? I don't know. Although we're told that in Revelation chapter 16, the last event before the coming of the Lord is that a beast, which is a bad actor, a bad army, a bad political order, will emerge around the Euphrates River. And that beast will cross the boundaries, cross into Israel. We know that Iran now are move, have already moved to the Golan Heights and that beast will call in and be stopped at the coming of the Lord. So we're very near the end of the end of the age. But for us, 
It's our task to yield ourselves to this amazing destiny and make sure that our gospel is without, without mixture, that truly is the gospel of life, of righteousness, and um, not of the letter. Nuda, would you share here? Okay, let's just stand. Yes. Yes. Let's stand and we just seal ourselves to those three great moves. Uh, which is the mark of the end of the age, which is the mark of the Feast of Tabernacles. And thank you, Lord, for this prophetic movement where the church and Israel, your people, and the, your, your Gentile people who have been grafted in through Jesus and your sons of Abram who believe in their covenants are becoming one in the hand of the Lord without jealousy. Now, Lord, I ask you to seal us to that love for Israel, that recognition of their ingathering being your promised plan being fulfilled before our eyes as you gather them from the four nations of the four corners of the world, that you, we loose ourselves from est, any vestige of anti-Semitism that's so prevalent in our culture. And we say, Lord, we're counterculture because our mind is formed by the word of God, by your promises that you yourself have obligated yourself to keep. So we stand with you. We thank you, Lord, for making us your bride, bringing us into total intimacy with you, merging our lives with yours, making your father our father, your blessings our blessings, and blessing us with every spiritual blessing, causing us to forget and be loosed from all our shame and restored into perfect sonship, daughterhood with you in this new realm of your glory. And then, Lord, we ask that each one of us will take our part in proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom, this gospel of the spirit, this gospel of righteousness and life to the people around us and to the nations as you lead each one of us to different places. Now we ask you, Lord, to put your big nail-pierced hands upon our heads Seal all this to us and prepare us for the times ahead to go into into them with great joy and anticipation for this is a season of joy in the midst of turmoil. So Holy Spirit, fall on us right now and seal us for all your purposes. We're identified with you and we have received a new identity in you and we embrace it. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Back to you, Rob. And if anybody wants to come forward for prayer, of course, we're here to minister.